So I've been trying out these different jobs and today we are at Wits End here in Dexter where I'm gonna try to be a hairstylist. Whitney. Nice to meet you, Whitney. Welcome to your first day. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. Do you have any experience with hair at all? I, I mean, your hair. Very little. Easy. No, almost none. I have zero experience, actually. Okay. I've shaved okay. before. Okay. That's about it. All right. Well, we're going to take you in the back and show you the ropes. All right. I'm ready. Let's go. First things first, we're going to put your apron on. Wow. You it's got jewels on and everything. Yep. Yeah. We have to look the part. <laughs> Does this wrap around? Yeah. Okay. Any way you want. Looks great. So the sink is full of color. Wow. Dishes with color. All right. Go I got for it. it. You gotta get it really clean. Really clean? Yeah. Like if you leave a little bit of color left on there and one of the hairstylists comes back and they grab it. Yeah. I can really mess somebody's hair up. Well, well yeah. we don't want that. No. I have three boys, so I know all about cleaning cereal bowls. Okay, so Good? if this is your first day here. Yes. You still are not finished here. What, what do I have? Do you see all of this stuff? Oh. Yeah. Perfect. That's the cleanest sink in all of Detroit right there. Here's the garbage for that. Okay. You use the last of the paper towel. Yes. So, you so have now to we change have to replenish it. it. Yep. So there's this is a lot yep. of work. The paper towels up, up top. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> She's kind of bossy. I heard that. Ooh. You're all welcome. I've been cleaning up y'all's stuff back there. You're all welcome. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Hey, right, so. Put the camera down. He's Look been growing that. it out. Here's his cape. I'm gonna leave you to it. Okay. Yeah, I'll be back in a few Great. minutes. Can you yeah. at least show him how to hold it? Wait, how to hold wait, the... wait, wait, wait. The cape. Yeah? For you wanting to come work here, this is not going to happen. This is not good? As a stylist, no. Because you're going to get hair all over him. Oh, we can't have that. No! No. Can you still I breathe? I feel like... Yeah, I'm good. I, think. I actually feel like he might need a hair wash first. Okay. Okay? So, uh, here. I, I actually you left something for you to clean out. Oh, that didn't surprise me. I figured I'd be mopping your floors before so, I leave here today. You're gonna have to grab that bad boy. What is that? <laughs> it's just what happens throughout is the day. Is that somebody's hair? It's it's like five people's <laughs> hair from the day. <laughs> so you're just gonna throw Do they have any up. hair left? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, oh. Whoa. I need you to just gently here. I got yes. the back of your head. Isn't that nice? Just like Is that. Is he comfortable? We can get the right temperature for you. All right. All right. How's that? Cold. <laughs> Just going to trim up a little bit right here around your ears. That's kind of long. You have great ears, Blake. We want to be able to see them. A little bit of that. A little bit of that. How's it going? Going great, going yeah. great. You know, I did forget to tell you about a few other tools you can use oh, besides really? the scissors. These are oh, the yes. clippers. Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely we're using those. Okay. Oh boy. Lots of hair coming off. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. So you got the flow still going in the back, the mullet's coming together. I'm gonna leave this a little long on top though. Hey, this is Oh, that's a low setting. 
That's nice. Coming together. <laughs> is this what your interpretation is? Something? Getting close. Yeah. Okay. Okay. About it. <laughs> Dude, what did you expect? I've never cut hair before. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> We're gonna style it. We're gonna put... Just gonna trim this up a little bit. <laughs> the wife's gonna love it. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's rocking, man. My wife's gonna kill you. But isn't this, <laughs> cool? isn't this cool? This part right here, it kind of comes down like that. Kinda... I do like that. I like that. I'll give you that. Focus on the positive. So I got Pete for your first time. Not bad. You nice. gave him some style. Yeah. yeah Little artistic flair. I did. Wasn't this is not the traditional haircut that you'd be like, I just want a traditional high end. Right, no. Business my cut. my whole goal in creating this was to give him a haircut he would never forget. He would never forget. I think you did it. In my defense, I didn't really think they would let me cut his hair. Like, I thought they would have a wig on him or something like that. And you know, I don't know if you know that you're supposed to have a license to cut hair. Like, there's a reason for that. Well, we're so glad that you guys are here. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. I want to welcome those of you that are Brighton, those of you in Grosseal, those of you watching online. We're so glad that uh, you're with us as well. We've been in this series called It's Just a Job. And this series has been all about... Uh, how does and what does it look like when your faith intersects with the nine to five grind? Right? What, what does it look like? How does it change the way that we work? We've been studying. What does scripture have to say about work, about labor? What was the purpose of it? Was there any purpose to it? Was it punishment for sin? You know, that, that God kind of instituted on us. Like, what's, what's the whole deal? How does all this kind of fit together? And what's been interesting as we've looked at Scripture, Scripture reminds us that God really does care about our work. He cares about the products that we make. He cares about the companies that we work for. He cares about the customers that we serve. God loves you, but he also loves this, this world that we live in, and he wants us to serve it well. And so uh, the reality is, even though work was an original part of God's intention for creation, it's part of what makes us fully human, uh, sin did impact work, right? The fall of man impacted the way that we work and how we work and some of the temptations that come along with work. And we said from the very beginning of the series that a lack of identity and a lack of purpose always leads to dissatisfaction in your work. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. If you have a lack of identity and you have a lack of purpose, it always leads to dissatisfaction every single time. So we started in week one by talking about identity and how important your identity is. It's so important that you understand that your identity is not based in your performance. Part of what happened with sin in this world is that there's this temptation to over-identify with your work. And when you over-identify with your work, it leads to all kinds of unhealthy things in your life. So you have to understand your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is not up for grabs. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on other people's evaluation of your performance. Your identity is in Christ and who he says you are. When you get that straight, it frees you up in the workplace. It really does. Last week, if you were here, we talked about this idea of purpose. 
And we said that that purpose is so important. You understand it. We talked about this idea that there's an invisible wall that's done tremendous amount of damage to the cause of Jesus. And this, this invisible wall says that there's some things that are secular and some things that are sacred. And we even apply that to jobs. We think there's sacred jobs and that there's secular jobs. And the sacred jobs are like people who are in ministry or people who are, you know, helping feed kids. Like those are like the really important jobs. And then on the other side, there's all these secular jobs, what most of us do. And those jobs just exist just to pay the bills. We said that invisible wall has done so much damage because the reality is there's not sacred and secular. There's just sacred. Like God cares about all of our jobs and God can use you no matter what your job is to bring glory to him. And when you start to see your job as a ministry, it changes everything about how you approach your work and how you approach the love and the grace that you extend to people around you at work. And now today we're going to wrap this whole thing up and we're going to take a, a bit of a turn that maybe some of you weren't expecting. And the whole turn here is we're going to actually, instead of talk about work today, we're going to talk about rest. Because when you look at scripture, and you look at this whole idea of um, work, you can't separate rest from it. There's a symbiotic relationship between work and rest in Scripture. It's all over the place. So God knew that we needed work in order to be fully human. He knew that you needed work, right, to, to feel fully alive. But he also knew that you needed rest that there would be seasons where rest were so important. And so this relationship between work and rest, it's all over the place in scripture. And it's not just about physical rest. There's something that's happening at a deeper level, okay? And at that deeper level, it's kind of this spiritual thing. And so what God knew we would need it is something that you'll see in the Bible. It's called Sabbath. Now, if you grew up in church, um, you know that the Sabbath is something that's been talked about for a long time. And I think there's a lot of like uh, misconceptions about the Sabbath. Uh, some people think Sabbath is almost like a form of punishment of some kind. But I hope what you'll discover today is that's not the case at all. That's not at all what's going on with the Sabbath. And so I want to start with just a very basic definition. If you're kind of new to church, new to this whole kind of spiritual thing, this will make sure we're kind of all on the same page. So the Sabbath, just a working definition for us today is this. It's just breaking from our regular frenzied activities to participate in activities that refresh, remind, and encourage our understanding that we are loved and cherished by a good God. So that's the whole idea, right? That the Sabbath is going to be this break. Uh, it's rest. It's this reminder that you are cherished by a good God. Now, how does that happen? Well, we'll start with this very basic truth. You have to choose the Sabbath. You have to choose it. You have to schedule it or it's just not going to happen. Now, I want to be real careful, right? And on the front end, make sure that you guys kind of understand this dynamic. Over hundreds of years, in fact, over thousands of years, the Sabbath has been um, used in a very legalistic way to almost uh, inflict spiritual abuse on people. And so it's very easy to get legalistic when you're talking about the Sabbath. So I just want to say on the front end, let's have a whole lot of grace because I believe our God is a God of imagination. And I think you have to use your imagination when it comes to the Sabbath and how we apply that to our lives today. 
And it's real easy when you talk about the Sabbath for me to talk about how I do the Sabbath in my life and to start to think you should do the Sabbath in the exact same way. And that's not the case. And so even in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, had twisted the Sabbath, something that was meant to be a gift, a, a, just a beautiful life-giving gift. They twisted that, uh, and in their legalistic ways, they really made it a form of spiritual abuse. So I want us to be real careful as we kind of kind of talk through this today that we don't do the same thing. But what I do know about the Sabbath is that it is an action of great purpose. In other words, you're not going to fall into this accidentally. You're just not. And the tricky thing about the Sabbath is Sabbath rest is, is different than like sleep rest. The way your physical body is wired, you can't escape sleep. You can try. All right. Uh, some of you can, you can do that. You can get away with that maybe for 24 hours maybe even a little bit longer, but eventually sleep will always catch up with you, right? Sleep will force itself on you. The Sabbath isn't like that. Resisted, the Sabbath always backs off. It's really easy to skirt around the Sabbath. It's possible for you to your entire life avoid applying the Sabbath to your life and to never figure out that that's actually part of the reason that you're so dissatisfied with your work. It's the exact reason why your friendships seem to be so fragile and your life seems to be so frenzied. So what you have to know on the front end is you have to choose this. Nobody can do this for you. People can encourage it. People can educate you about the Sabbath. But at the end of the day, nobody can do this for you. You have to choose this. Now, why is this so important? Why does the Bible talk about this idea of a Sabbath or a rest or a time that you remember the goodness and the care of our God. And I think there's probably lots of reasons, but I just want to give you two today. Just two simple reasons why I think Sabbath is so important to our lives and this balance with work. And the first one is this. The Sabbath will remind you of your limitations. Always remind you of your limitations. There's a, while the Sabbath is scattered all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, there's two particular texts in Scripture I want us to look at today that kind of go in depth a little bit to this whole idea of the Sabbath. And the first one's in Exodus. And so the two passages are very similar. I'll point out the differences to you and kind of talk a little bit about why they're different. But let's start with Exodus 20. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So right from the beginning, it's saying this day is different from the other days. You have six days each, each week to do your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens. So now we're talking about creation here. For six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he set it apart as holy. Again, this idea that this day is different. So it talks about this idea that when God created the world, there was a pattern, right? Our God is a God of a groove. There's a pattern that kind of goes with things. He creates, he creates, he creates, he creates, he creates, and then there's rest. And so what is so, I think, interesting about this particular passage is essentially what God is saying is, I want you to imitate me in order to be reminded that you're not me and that you need me. 
So God said, there was a pattern in my work. I want there to be a pattern in your work. And in imitating me, you'll be reminded that you're not me and that you actually need me. So the Sabbath is about nurturing trust. It's a time to stop. It's a time to rest. Look at this uh, very simple passage. Some of you have heard this before. It's Psalms 46.10. It just says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. See, it's interesting because I think a lot of us are on a journey together where we're trying to really know God, right? We're really trying to understand God. We're trying to continually make sure we're building this intimate relationship with this God that we can't see. And so in that, we strive to know him. And there's a lot of different ways we know him. We know him through prayer. We certainly know him through scripture. We can know him through community. We can, we can know him by pursuing him and reading books and going to Bible studies and all of that stuff is important in knowing him. But there's a certain knowing him that cannot be pursued. It can only be received. And the way in which this knowing this aspect or this character of God, it doesn't come from pursuing him. It comes from just being still and receiving him. The problem is the idea of being still. It's not really celebrated in our culture, is it? We live in a culture where we celebrate hurriedness, right? You're, you're rewarded for that. You look important when you're always hurrying somewhere, when you're always multitasking and doing two or three things at a time, right? We love to hurry. It's an addiction in our culture. Being still, that's often viewed as laziness. Nobody really celebrates that. And yet I believe that hurry and busyness, they're one of the greatest enemies to the spiritual life that we have. There's a guy by the name of Gordon MacDonald. He's a famous pastor and author. And whether you agree with him or not, he wrote this. He said, in my opinion, busyness is a deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. It's like a serious issue, right? And I can't think of a single advantage in my life that I've ever gained from hurrying through life. I can point to a thousand broken, messed up things that are in the wake of all of my rushing but I've always thought with all my hurrying, like I'm somehow like making up time. But the reality is I haven't been making up time with all my hurrying. You know what I'm doing? I'm throwing time away. It's doing a tremendous amount of damage because one of the greatest hallucinations that comes from all of our hurrying, one of the things that it conjures up is this concept that you start to believe that you are God, that somehow it all depends on you, right? Like, how will the right thing happen at the right time without your pushing and pulling and watching and worrying? And it kind of sends us into this frenzy. Uh, this week, I, I had like this total meltdown this week. And I really don't want to share the story because it's, it's almost embarrassing looking back on it. But it's just the reality of what we're talking about today. I had one of those days. Do you have one of those days where it's just like, Everything is wrong from the very beginning and you know it. And it's kind of like, I should just get back in bed right now. Like, you know, it's started bad. Like I'm in the shower. I realize I don't have a towel. You know, that's a, so annoying, right? Bathroom floor gets all, like, it's just annoying. Okay. And then I get in the car and I'm going with my three boys. We're going to school. And one of the kids had to take an extra outfit and he realizes that he packed shorts, but he forgot to pack a shirt. I'm like, that's half your outfit, dude. Like, all right. So we have to turn around. We're already running late. We turn around, we rush back to the house, right? And we're running in to find a shirt so he can have that so we can go. And then all day long, 
everything frustrated me. Everything I tried to do, I was late or I missed this or it, it's just a disaster of a day. And at the end of the day, I'm still kind of running around and I'm all frenzied. And somehow I convinced myself in my head that my grass had to be mowed on that day. It had to be done before it got dark. Like it just had to, right? And so I get home and nothing's working right with that, right? And then I finally get it mowed and it's almost dark and like I'm hurrying so much. Now I got to weed eat and weed eaters themselves have been designed by Satan. I'm convinced of it. Uh, there's no weed eater ever like that has ever worked for me at any right time when I really needed it. And so I'm literally running through the yard with a weed eater in hand, just trying to like finish up right before it gets off. And, and I'm doing it. Well, you ever do like a normal task? Like it's just a task, like washing your car or mowing your grass. But you have so much anger and frustration built up inside you from the rest of the day that, you know, that activity is it's going to just explode. And that's the way I felt. Right. Right? And I literally walked into my garage so mad because right, right towards the end, of course, weed eaters out of string. And so I just take it in and instead of putting string on it and finishing, I literally just throw the weed eater into the garage, which might be why my weed eater never works when I need it to because it gets abused regularly. I would never hurt a person, but tools, I will throw the heck out of a tool, right? I just like, that's where my frustration tends to come out. And I'm standing there in my garage just looking at the weed eater, wanting to pick it back up and slam it against something, right? Because I have all this anger and frustration built up in me. And I just stop for a second. I'm like, Pete, what are you doing? Like, why are you throwing this temper tantrum like, like your three-year-old frustrated because life's not going the way you want it to go? That's exactly what was happening in that moment. And I felt like God was just convicting me. Like, Pete, slow down. Look around. Life is not that bad. It's a weed eater. Like your grass will be there tomorrow. You can mow tomorrow. You didn't have to get it done today. And, and, and yet we get into these, these seasons and these moments and these days where we think it all depends on us. And we create this list of demands of things we think we have to do that's just self-imposed. And every once in a while, and this is what I think is important about the Sabbath, we have to stop and we have to look at our lives we have to look at the way that we're treating people. We have to look at the way we're loving people. We have to look at the way that we're doing our work. We have to look at the way that we're shining, hopefully, a bright light or not shining a bright light on the love and the hope and the grace that Jesus has put inside of us. There's this question I try to regularly ask myself. I think it's a really important question. The question is this. Do you like who you're becoming? Like this week, standing in my garage, when I asked myself that question, the answer was no. I don't like who I'm becoming in this moment. And again, we all have bad moments, right? So again, let's not use this as just a guilt-inducing thing. But in general, when you think about yourself, do you like who you're becoming as a husband? Do you like who you're becoming as a wife, as a dad, as a mom, as an employee, as a boss, as a friend, as a church member? Do you like who you're becoming? And if the answer is no, you see some consistencies in your life that you're like, that's just not who I am. That's not who Jesus wants me to be. Then I think sometimes we have to slow down and say, maybe something is missing. And I believe often what's missing is this Sabbath rest. It's stopping to realize our limitations, to rest, to realize that there is a God and it's not me. See, listen, if, if 
if God can take any mess, if he can take any mishap, if he can take any waste, if he can take any wreckage, if he can take any anything and choreograph meaning and beauty, then you can take a day off. If not, you better get busy. Either, either God is at work and he's working good out for every one of us, or you got to try harder, right? Either he's a way maker and a miracle worker like we just sung, or you better step up your game, right? He's either a good God that's in control or it all depends on you. And what the Sabbath does for every one of us when we rest and we stop and we surrender and we remember that we've been created by God, it's just this reminder, okay, there's a God, there's a good God, and it's not me. And I can surrender because it doesn't all depend on me. I'm going to trust in him. And that's part of what the Sabbath does. And we need that reminder on a regular basis. Here's the second thing that Sabbath will do for you. And second reason I think it's so important is the Sabbath reminds you of God's care and God's plan. Now, I want to show you the second passage that I was telling you about. This one's found in the book of Deuteronomy. The first part of it is identical to the passage that we looked at in Exodus. So let me kind of fly through the first part. Again, it's exact. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your ox and your donkeys, other livestock, any foreigners living among you, all your male and female servants must rest as you do. Now, here's where it changes. The, the one in Exodus spoke directly to this idea of God's creation and the pattern. It's a reminder of our design, right? Imitate God to be reminded that you're not God and that you need God. This one takes a different turn. And it says, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So in this story, in this particular passage, what happens is there's this reminder of this narrative that the Israelites started after 400 years in slavery, right? So 400 years, the Israelites stay in slavery. And during these 400 years, they work for Pharaoh. And as they're working for Pharaoh, over 400 years, all they do is make bricks every day. Bricks, 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 eat, sleep, next day. Bricks, 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 eat, sleep, next day. Bricks, bricks, this is all they do for 400 years. Generation after generation after generation, they're just making bricks. So then God rescues them. He rescues them, they're now free. The problem is it's possible to be free, but not live free, right? Freedom is almost something that you have to learn. And so after 400 years of slavery, they've been set free, but they don't know what it means to live free. They don't know what it means to live fully human and to flourish. And so one of the very first things God does for them is he gives them the Ten Commandments. And there's a couple different reasons I believe he gives them the Ten Commandments, but one of them is to help teach them what it means to be fully human. Part of why he gives them the Ten Commandments is this is a gift. You guys have been set free, but you don't know what it means to live free, so I want to help you. This is what it means to live in a flourishing community. And one of the Ten Commandments was what? Take a Sabbath day. Take a rest. Work six. 
and then I want you to have a free day. And this is so important because what they don't understand is, is they thought their whole reason for existing was just production. That's what happens after 400 years of slavery. They, they, they don't think they have any kind of value outside of making bricks. They thought they had no like right to rest. And so what God is saying to them is no, 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 no. Your value lays way outside of just making bricks, right? And, and so I have a gift for you. It's called rest. I don't want you working seven days a week. I don't want you to overwork or underwork because it leads to all kinds of identity issues. And so he's trying to help them understand that they're not just human doings. They are actually human beings. Now, part of the lie that gets mixed in our culture today is, is similar. And some of you think, I don't have the right to rest. And, and I don't know, maybe there's some truth to that. Like, I don't think there's a lot of things that I have the right to. I don't think I have the right to my home. I don't think I have a right to my health. I don't think I have a right to my family. I don't think I have a right to my salvation. So if you want to add rest to that list, you can. But thank God we have a God who could care less about your rights. What he cares about deeply is your needs. And there is an inescapable need for all of us to have rest. It's how we're designed. Now, again, part of the lie our culture wants to impress on us is that uh, you can't rest until all the work's done and it's done better than the way you're currently doing it. But the truth is the work is never done and it's never done quite right. It's always more than you can finish and it's, it's always less than what you had hoped for. Again, this is why the Sabbath is so important. It is a declaration of our freedom. Yes, it can be a day on the calendar, but it's also a disposition of your heart. It's a reminder that you're not a slave. You're not a slave to culture's expectations. You're not a slave to your family's hopes for your life. You're not a slave to medical school's demands. You're not even a slave to your own insecurities. And so you have to begin to see that this, this commandment towards the Sabbath, it, it's not supposed to be drudgery. This is life-giving. The Sabbath was a way to develop a, a, a rhythm, a heartbeat that reminds us the goodness of God and the depth of his grace and the width of his love. And I need this rhythm. I need this, to stay connected to God because some days, gosh, some days I just, I forget about the beauty of God's grace. Some days I revert back to trying to earn my own salvation. Some days I substitute Jesus with furious activity and service but not on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is this reminder that really the only need that I have in my life is to stay connected to Jesus from moment to moment to moment, to just stay connected to the one who can do immeasurably more than anything we could ask or imagine. The Sabbath is the day to just slow down and remember the gifts of God. It's a day to just like, slowly watch the sun just drop out of the sky. It's a day to sit in a hammock and read a really good book. It's a day to go on a nice, long, slow walk with somebody that you love. It's a day to gather with friends and family and have a slow, unhurried meal with one another. Um, 
It's a day to shut off or unplug whatever you need to shut off and whatever you need to unplug so that you can rest and relax and enjoy God's creation. It's a day where you can gather corporately for worship like we are right now. And one of the beauties that happens like when we gather like this, I don't know if this happened for you today or not, but it it, it did for me. Like I, I, I came into church thinking about a series of a couple little problems in my life that I had magnified into big problems, right? Big problems and a little God. And then I come in here and we worship together and we're singing together about this way maker, this miracle worker, right? And, and what's happening the whole time we're singing, we're worshiping together is, is my problem is shrinking and my God is being magnified, right? In other words, what it was doing was it was giving me the proper perspective. That's part of what's happening on the Sabbath because everything gets blown out of proportion right, on those other days. And you need that Sabbath to just be reminded that you got small problems, but you got a really big God. The Sabbath day is, is a day when I'm fully reminded that I need to be available to myself and available to the people that I love. It's a reminder that I'm not a machine. It's a day to stop and remember that I am loved simply because I exist. Isn't that beautiful? You are loved simply because you exist. And when you take a day to remember that truth, what happens is you discover the other six days, you're really working hard for something that you already have. So, I want to take a moment to make this really practical for you, all right? Because it'd be easy for a message like this to walk out nodding, saying, yep, Sabbath is important, but not actually apply this to your life in any way. And so let me just give you three questions to answer. And uh, if this is too much for you to remember, I'll teach you a trick real quick. I do this sometimes when I'm in church. I just take my phone and I take a picture of the screen and that'll help you remember these questions for later in the week, all right? So here's the first one, all right? Can you commit to try for a month to reserving one day to rest, revive, and remember. It's just that simple. Like maybe you take these questions and you just ask these questions among your friends or among your family over lunch or over dinner today. Can you commit to try for a month reserving just one day to rest, revive, and remember? Question number two, again, to make this very practical, which day of the week is it gonna be? What's this gonna look like for you? Does it have to be the same day every week? No, but I have found the more that you can create a rhythm with this, the better chances are that you'll actually apply this to your life. So which day of the week? Is it going to be Sunday? Is it going to be Monday? I don't think the day is so important as much as it is making sure that you take a time during your week that this becomes a rhythm. And the third question, this might be the most difficult for you to answer, but is what are the activities that you need to best rest, revive, and remember? And I think this is going to be a little different for all of us, all right? Because what helps me rest And what helps me remember the goodness and the care of our God might be different from what helps you rest and helps you remember the goodness and the care of our God. For some of you, it's going to be a nap. Isn't that cool? Like the most spiritual thing you could do this afternoon is take a nap. I love that. Some of you need a nap. I'm looking at you right now and I'm like, you could, (laughs) nap would be good for you. All right. Maybe it's time on the water, right? And how about the timing of this message? Could there be a better Sabbath day than today in like the Michigan area? Like it's just a beautiful day, at least for the next hour or so. Um, <laughs> worship, 
prayer, slow dinner with friends. What, I mean, this is, this is fun, right? Use your imagination because we have a God with an imagination, right? What are the activities? What are the things? What is this going to look like? And I think it changes from season to season, but I think you need to know yourself enough to know what are the things that help you rest? What are the things that help you recharge? What are the, help, the things that help you have a better spiritual perspective? What are the things that help just remind you of our good God? This last verse in Matthew chapter 11 says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I love that because this is the invitation from Jesus, right? And what Jesus is saying is, I, I, I got your number. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I know you're exhausted. I know you're stressed out. I know you're frenzied and running around like a crazy person with a weed eater through your yard. Like I, I know about your life, he says. So I want you to come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's interesting, right? Because the rest he's talking about here is different from just normal physical rest. In other words, there's an exhaustion that you have at the soul level. That's an exhaustion that cannot be solved by an afternoon nap. That is the kind of exhaustion that cannot be solved with a 10-day vacation. Both those things are needed and may be very important. But listen, he's, he's talking about an exhaustion at the soul level. And then he says, I, I want you to take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a really interesting choice of words that Jesus has here. And it's not by accident, by the way. But why, when he's talking about this rest that he wants to give your soul, does he use a symbol of a yoke? He uses this symbol of a yoke, of a harness. This is a symbol of grinding toil, of slavery. Why would he use a concept of hard work to then explain to you that you can have soul rest? I'll tell you what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is trying to explain to all of us that he's the only kind of boss that we'll ever have that ultimately is not going to drive us into the ground. He's the only audience that you will ever have that um, regardless of your performance, he's absolutely satisfied. And the reason that God says you need to take this yoke, take this work from him, to find rest is because his work for you is already finished. You can take his work because his work for you is already finished. It's already done. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? He's explaining to us what this looks like. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, not just that you love Jesus, it's not just that you worship Jesus, it's not just that you follow Jesus or you try to love like Jesus. The very basic definition of being a follower of Jesus is that you rest in the finished work of Jesus. And according to scripture, that's all that it takes. You rest in the finished work of Jesus. This is why you take his yoke. This is why you take his work. His work for you is done. Now, some of you have confused this and you've taken some of the values of our culture and you've applied this to spirituality and you think that somehow you have to earn the love of Jesus. You have to earn becoming a Christian. You have to jump through certain hoops 
right? You have to cross certain things off boxes, and that's what it means to be a Christian. So in other words, what we've often done in our culture, we've said, oh, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is, yes, I'm going to put part of my weight on this idea of Jesus and the cross and what he did, but I'm going to put the other half of my weight on this concept and idea that it's also about good deeds. It's also about go to church and, um, you know, be in a small group and give and let the list go on. And so you got part of your weight on the finished work of Jesus and you got part of your weight on your good deeds and the things that you think you have to do in order to earn your way into a relationship with Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want your all your weight. I want you to push all your chips into me. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. It's just resting in his finished work for you. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. And maybe you're here today. Um, maybe you're sitting at one of our campuses. Maybe you're Brighton. Maybe you're at Gross Hill. Maybe you're watching online right now. And you've always wondered, what does it look like to really become a Christian? How can I get to that place where I can really just receive Jesus and his grace and be secure in that? This is exactly what it looks like. You just rest and his finished work. It's not about you doing anything. It's about believing in what he's already done for you. And if you're here and you'd like to begin that relationship with Jesus for the first time, I'm going to invite you today to just say a simple prayer with me. And I'm going to ask everybody that can hear my voice to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what, Pete, I I'm trying to figure out this whole spiritual journey thing. I'm trying to figure out this Jesus thing, this God thing, this grace thing. And yeah, that's probably me. I've, I've been believing in Jesus, but I've also been trusting in my good deeds. I've been kind of putting my weight on one side, but also on the other. Maybe today for the first time, you just say to yourself, you know what? I'm done. I'm done playing the games. I'm done trying to work my way. I'm done trying to earn my salvation and earn this grace. And today for the very first time, I'm going to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. If that's you, just sitting where you're sitting, just in your heart, would you just pray this very simple prayer with me? It's just a prayer of surrender. Just in your heart right now, say, dear God, with as much as I can possibly understand in this moment, I want to invite you to come into my life. I want to ask you to forgive my sins. And today, for the first time, I want to rest. I want to rest wholly in your finished work for me. I believe that this is about your good works, not mine. And I'm going to trust in you. The Bible tells us that very simple declaration of our heart is the beginning of this incredible journey with Jesus. God, I know that many of us here have already prayed that prayer. We've committed our lives to you. But the reality is we live in a broken world. We live in a culture where hurry and rushing is often idolized and viewed as important. And the idea of resting, the idea of being still is often viewed as laziness. And God, some of us have gotten caught up in a rat race. We've bought into this lie that somehow if anything good's going to happen in our life, we have to be the ones to do it and make it happen. And so a lot of us are controlling and manipulating things that we should not control and manipulate. And maybe today is just a reminder that we need a day in the week where we rest. We need Sabbath rest. We need more than just a day in the week where we don't work. We need a day in the week where the disposition of our hearts 
is geared and centered in you and your goodness and your grace. And they were reminded of the beauty of following you, the beauty of creation, the beauty of the life that you've invited us to live. God, would you help us to remember how important this rhythm is for our daily lives? For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen. Um, real quick, before we go, a uh, couple of things. First of all, uh, very important today, if maybe you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we would love to come alongside you and help you, encourage you. Here's what you need to do. Just right now, pull out your phone and text 313131. 31 31. All right, text to that number, just the word Northridge. Just text Northridge to 313131, 31 31, and uh, we'll get you some information. Talk about some next steps and how we can come alongside you. Also, if you're here today, maybe you're going through something and you'd like someone to pray with you at all of our uh, locations, there um, is a prayer team that will be down front that would love to take a minute to just pray with you. So you can come down after the service and uh, they'll pray with you uh, and just encourage you. Thank you so much uh, for being here. I hope you have an amazing week and I hope you'll find some time for some rest and we'll see you next weekend. God bless.